0: Have I shown you the most recent pictures of my grandchildren? I said this a few months ago in the hallway of church and said, have I shown you the latest pictures of my grandchildren? And a good friend of mine looked at me and said, no, and thank you. I only have 648 that are on the iPad. They're divided into subgroups. One I have four grandchildren divided by four. There's a little less than 200 of each grandchild. And I know that, well, you'd like to just, you know, there you go. Right there. There you go. And if I'm without my iPad, I've got the trusty iPhone, and I've even got a homemade video of... Indy, right here, when I was babysitting her one time. These are the most amazing pictures of the most beautiful grandchildren ever in the whole wide world. You know, I don't, I don't understand why people or what people did before cameras. You know, before you had the ability to take pictures of your grandkids or whatever it is. I mean, what did we do? What did we do? Well... You know what we did. We took pictures long before cameras were ever invented. How? We took pictures with our eyes. We processed them in our minds. And then we printed them out with our mouths, with our lips, with our speech, with our words. I mean... I know it's almost overkill that you can you can have a child born in the hospital and immediately it's on a social network called Facebook. And before even the family in the waiting room can find out about the birth of that child, the whole world seems to know. It's just amazing. But that's the way it is. But that's not always the way it's been. Because there was a time before cameras when it probably went something like this. Well, we... Had a boy today, and he seemed to be about this big, and he has his mother's eyes. He doesn't have too much hair, but the hair he has seems to be kind of a light brown color, and his skin is is olive-complected. And yes, I counted all the digits. There are ten fingers, and there are ten toes, and his nose. And you just go back and forth, and all of a sudden, you begin to see that a picture has been taken. We have All that we have, really, to know about the birth of a baby. Because whoever put their eyes upon them had to record that vision, record that picture, process it, and then tell it to all who would see, all who would listen, all who wanted to know. Yes, long before there were cameras, there were pictures. This is what we want to do for the four Sundays of Christmas. We want to speak about four pictures that we have in the Bible. Four pictures of Jesus. And we want to take each one of those snapshots, if you will, each one of those pictures. And we want to describe it. We want to process it. We want to print it out. We want to talk about the pictures of Christmas that we have before us. Now, I know that leads maybe to some other questions. And the chief question that most of us have about pictures out of the Bible is what did Jesus look like? Do we know what the Lord looked like? It's pretty amazing to think about, but consider this. The Bible speaks about Several characters, several people throughout the Scripture. And we have a physical description to give us some notion of what that person looked like. For instance, we know that Zacchaeus was what? He was short. Bible tells us he was short. We know that David, the boy who would be king, King David, the Scripture describes him, and the Hebrew says, as we translate it into English, it says he was ruddy. And handsome, ruddy means red in the face to mean healthy, a healthy countenance. Does not necessarily mean red hair, Kelvin, I'm sorry, but doesn't always mean that. But to be ruddy and handsome meant that David, as he's pictured in the scripture, was healthy of countenance. He was good looking, he was handsome, the word is used. King Saul, the one who came before David, the first king of Israel, There's no mistaking that this man was head and shoulders, it says, above the average man who lived in that day. So he was tall. He had a commanding presence. And that may have been one of the things that drew the people to make Saul king. Elisha, not Elijah, but Elisha was bald. He had no hair on his head. Scripture tells us that. But the one person, the one figure in Scripture that is most illustrated in paintings, in stories, in posters that you show in Bible study, the one person that the artists, the most famous artists throughout the centuries, throughout history, have sought to picture, Jesus, there is not one single person. Description of his physical countenance given to us in the Bible, we know he was a man, Yes, if you say well, he had to be typically Jewish and have that countenance, you can go that far. So he was between this height and that height, and maybe average build, other than that, we know nothing. It seems strange to some of us that we would have the physical description of this prophet or of this Bible character or of this man or this woman given enough for us to at least have a mind's eye to begin to take that picture and to do something with it. But of the one we desire to to see the most, the one who is high and lifted up, the one who is most important, the one who gets most of the attention. We don't have a clue. I think God intended it to be that way. And I think the reason that we have no real description of Jesus, and I'm sorry, whatever posters you've got in your brain, whatever pictures you were shown, whatever you've gone to the far corners of the earth to look at famous art, to see and to view, and you think you know what Jesus looked like, if you think you have an idea of this physical countenance, you don't. Because that's totally in the mind of the artist. It's totally in the mind of whatever that culture, whatever that generation, what their, what their males, what their men looked like. You might add a halo here or there. You might picture him doing something that the Bible describes in detail, like preaching or performing a miracle. And you may have the figure of a person in a famous work of art that is Jesus. But you need to remember... God gives us no physical portrait of his only begotten son. And I think I know why. Because when we look at the pictures of Jesus in these next four Sundays, we're not going to be concerned with what Jesus looked like. The pictures don't tell us what he looked like. They tell us who he was, who he is, what he came to do. So with that in mind, picture number one. The first picture we look at during these four Sundays of Christmas is the one that we really read about when the Miller family lit the candle, when we read from Luke chapter 2. It's the picture of the manger and everything that it entails. The angels, yes. The shepherds, absolutely the scene of a stable in the village of Bethlehem. We have that as the first picture that the Scripture gives us of the Christ child. And I think the shepherds did an awesome job of describing this picture for us. Luke, as he recounts what happened and as he writes it down in what we call Luke chapter 2, The shepherds did such a great job that it says in chapter 2, verse 18, that all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. So these village people, if you will, these these nomadic shepherds who were keeping sheep on the hillside of Bethlehem, when the angels spoke to them and made a miraculous announcement, That the Savior would be born, that they would find Him. They had a mind's eye to record the scene in their minds and to picture it and to process it and then to print out that picture for us with their words. We don't know what all they said, but it says that everything they told everyone after this night was remembered with amazement. It's a picture. It's a picture. But I draw you to the main physical descriptor of the Lord on this night. It's found in verse 12. And this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in a swaddling cloth, lying in a manger. Okay, surely Luke miss something here surely he's going to tell us something else about the child surely he's going to describe for us something else that will give us something to grab hold of but i don't see it in the verses before and i don't see it in the verses after because it's not going to be there what then is the most distinguishing feature of the baby jesus It's this, our modern-day interpretation of a swaddling cloth. Now, if we were going to be true to the context and true to the New Testament custom, this piece of material that is rectangular would have a piece that would extend from one of the corners that would extend out several feet so that, and maybe you learn this when you've been attending to the birth of a child, maybe your own. But one of the first things the nurse at the Arlington Memorial Hospital taught me when our first child was born is that you would lay the baby right here in the corner of the cloth and that you would take this part over, you would take this part over, then you would bring this part up, and then you would take that extra long piece of material and you would wrap it around the baby. And then you would tuck that material in where it held tight. Now, let me get this straight. Angels are on hand for a miraculous announcement. Shepherds have gathered on the hillside. They are told in no uncertain terms that they are going to witness a miracle tonight. And the distinguishing sign of the baby is is going to be this. This is going to be how you distinguish the importance of this child. The importance of this child is going to be that he looks just like any other baby. Everyone employed a swaddling cloth. There's nothing mystical about this piece of material. You might say, well, no, Stephen, you missed the point. It's the fact that They found the baby in a feeding trough. Okay, well, I'll grant you that. But that is not really what the point is from the angel's announcement as I read it. These are primitive times. They didn't have a memorial hospital around the corner. The birth of children during that day and during that time was a very dangerous affair. And to have everyone converging on Bethlehem for a census taking, for taxes, for the Ruler in the days to come meant that it would have been not out of the ordinary for people to have been homeless or to have been left without a place if they didn't have relatives there in that immediate area. So the fact that a baby is born on a certain night and you're going to find that baby not having a cool, comfortable, climate-controlled room in an inn or is not in a baby nursery somewhere it's totally beside the point to me it's the fact that the angel said and this will be a sign to you you will find the baby wrapped in a swaddling cloth lying in a manger he's going to look like every other baby maybe that's the point Maybe the point of the first picture of Christmas is that when we immediately say, now wait a minute, if I were a shepherd, I would have to say, excuse me, I have a comment to make. You pulled me away from my life's work. You've told us to bring the sheep as best we can. And maybe, Miss Angel, you don't understand the nature of what we do and the treacherous terrain that's around this village on this hillside. You want us to stop and you want us to come and you want us to find the Savior and yet you tell us the sign will be that he's wrapped in a swaddling cloth? What gives? I mean, any particular announcement like this, if it's truly the Son of God, would be that he's going to be in a palace. That we're not going to get near him because he's royalty. That we're not going to even be able to approach for this child is because this child is too important. This child is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if he truly is who you announce him to be, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. And if this truly is what you say it is, then we don't understand the picture is distorted. Oh, but don't we see that for Jesus to be our Savior, and that's who He is and what He is. If He is to be our Savior, then He has to be brought to the earth like any one of us. The Scripture, time and again, talks about the majesty of the King, yes, during His exaltation. But when He becomes Emmanuel, God with us, He came into this earth. Philippians 2 would say, as a bond servant, giving up those godly attributes, he came to the earth in humility. He came with his distinguishing sign being that he's not distinguished at all. He's just like any other baby wrapped in a swaddling cloth, especially when they're far away from home and the birth comes upon you suddenly. That's who Jesus is. That's what he has done for us. He is the Savior for all of us. And he comes in a miraculous way, absolutely. But he comes to the eyes of men. He comes to the populace, to the people. In a way that makes us scratch our heads. In a way that brings us to the point of, yes, what we need indeed is a Savior. Now, maybe I need to apologize to some of you because you said, okay, there you go, Stephen. You've taken all the the fun out of it. You've told us that it's not about the, the spectacular. It's not about the... The holidays. And yes, I would underscore that. It isn't. I'm not the Grinch who stole your Christmas. I'm not trying to be the bad guy here. I'm not trying to pour cold water on a celebration. I'm not trying to undo anything. I'm trying, if anything, to accentuate what is most important. Because, folks, if all we look toward is trying to grasp a picture of what he looked like, and by that I mean if all we look for is the sentimentality of what a picture of Jesus would have looked like, then we've taken Christmas and we've made it just that, sentimentality. Think about it. Our experience of Christmas, the experience many of us have year in and year out, has some very un-Christmas-like thoughts and actions that go along with it. Do they not? When all we're concerned about is the emotion, when all we're concerned about is the sentiment of a holiday, then we make it simply that a holiday, and we 've taken away the true essence of what it means to be a holy day can 't you see that? we can 't afford to lose Christmas in the cards and in the pictures and in the gifts and in the family gatherings and in the special foods and everything that it might be we can 't afford. To toss Christmas aside for the sentimentality of a holiday. But that's all it is for many of us. It's regrets over a Christmas that was back then that isn't going to be anymore. It's wondering. It's searching for that emotional feeling to fill a void. That an emotional feeling cannot fill. but it's when we see Jesus for who he was, for who he is. And we see ourselves as sinners who need saving. As we see Jesus as the one who can take whatever it is that has robbed Christmas of what it truly should be in our hearts, and he is the only one who can bring it back to us, and that is by reminding us that he has brought us out of darkness into light. Then we begin to see the picture come into focus. Then we begin to see Jesus for who He is. Not what He looked like, but the Savior of us all. What if What if when all was said and done, the shepherds left that scene that night and announced to everyone, boy, we saw the cutest baby boy. Or what if those magi, be them three kings or however many there were, what if they chose to send an announcement of congratulations to Mary and Joseph instead of, spending the time traveling and searching and following that star and bearing their gifts. You see, Christmas would have been just another sentiment, just another holiday. It wouldn't have changed anyone or anything. Jesus is the Savior of us all. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to approach you through your word, to take a hint from Scripture that we need to take your word for what it is, not add to it. And so, Lord, we know that when it comes to the pictures of Jesus, it may not be what we expect. It may not be to a grandparent's liking. But, Lord, we find in the description of Jesus' birth, the true picture of who he is today, who he was then, who he will always be, our Savior. So, Father, I pray that in these days, that it not be just another holiday season, but it be truly days that are holy and set apart with our focus completely upon you. It's in the name of Jesus we offer these prayers. Amen. So what do we do with a picture that may seem incomplete to some of us today? Well, we make choices and we make decisions. We offer an invitation at this portion of our service today where we want to ask you to make a commitment. For it could well be that there is someone in this very room and you have never said yes ...to the claims of Jesus upon your life. You have never moved from being lost to being found. You have never faced your sin and said, I need a Savior. I want to invite you to come in just a moment. There are going to be ministers and deacons waiting here in the front to receive you, to pray with you. Maybe you're here today and the desire of your life is to tell the world that you know the Lord Jesus. You've never announced, professed your faith in Him, though you are a believer... We'd ask you to come and do that today. Maybe you've never followed him in believer's baptism. Maybe you've never put your life into a fellowship, a congregation, joined a church. Don't confuse joining a church with what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. But in order to deepen that commitment, you must have a place to serve. You need a congregation. And so if God is leading you and those that are in your family to join this church today, this invitation is for you to do just that. Perhaps the desire of your life is to simply think about how you face the holidays. Here it is, the first Sunday of a holiday season, of the Christmas Holy Day season, actually. What better time to start off on the right foot? What better time to turn away from those feelings that just bring discouragement and despair to you at this time? And to allow that to help you see the picture of who Jesus is. He is our Savior. What does that mean for you? How does it mean you're going to act and behave during these days? How is it going to affect the way you relate to other people? It may not be the picture you were expecting. But it's really all we need. So we stand, we sing, we wait for you to respond to the call of God upon your life right now.